This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by the new Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 Sport Bike Tire and Fly Racing. Welcome to this week's Paddock Pass podcast. Um, my name's Adam Wheeler. I'm joined by David Emmett. We're missing Neil Morrison and Steve English. Steve is currently in the middle of um, back-to-back superbike races, so I think he's recording with uh, Gordon Ritchie. He'll be providing another show for us this week. And Neil is somewhere, I think, over the Atlantic, heading to round 15 of uh, MotoGP. But Dave and I, we're just going to talk a little bit about the upcoming race in Austin. Uh, how do we feel about MotoGP heading overseas, Dave? It seems a little un- unusual that the uh, the whole show is um, fresh out and going somewhere different it is uh, surprising i'm particularly looking forward to finding out which um uh, obscure third country uh, neil has decided to fly through um whether it's going to be istanbul or kenya or uh, hong kong um uh, yeah I, it, it is a bit strange i mean it, apart from qatar which we sort of got used to it's the first time we've actually been outside of europe and uh, we're going to have our you know being being still here in europe we're going to have our schedules all sort of uh, uh, messed up it's going to be interesting to see also just how the paddock reacts because normally Austin is a massive party. It is. It's a genuine party. It's, it's one of the races which people really, um, really enjoy looking forward to. Um, but everyone's been told, you know, please sort of stay in your bubble. Uh, don't go out too much because of the COVID situation in Texas at the moment. And um, also, the weather doesn't look like it's going to be particularly inviting to go out. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, just for those listeners who, well, they they might understand the private joke, but uh, Neil is kind of famous for taking most indirect flight routes to get to Grand Prix for the case of saving maybe 20 or 30 euros. I hear this time he's going to Alaska, Dave, actually stopping off. Um, you know, having a quick a quick slice of uh, seal steak and then jumping back on the plane to Texas. But as you said, um, you know, it's it is a strange situation. I mean, there was a lot of debate around whether MotoGP would actually make it to Cotta. Uh, you know, it's the first race there since 2019. Um, there was a lot of worry, I think, in Mizano two weeks ago, even over media visas or visas in general for people, for the paddock to get into the racetrack. Um, but, you know, there seems to be a, a decent amount amount of uh, resilience or determination to make the Grand Prix happen so that's a positive thing um, but generally how do we feel about the race being a circuit of the Americas I mean is it a track that you particularly like watching racing at? Um, it's uh, I mean it's a it's an odd track it's a bit of a strange track I don't think it's a track which is really which really produces sort of great races uh, the field tends to get spread out quite a lot um, and it's just a uh i mean it, it's also a really interesting track it's the the most physically demanding track on the circuit because uh you are the, the, there's no place to rest you know you come out of uh, it's uphill into turn one and then uh down through turn two which is a fantastic corner that fast right um uh, going uh, going downhill and then it runs into that sort of long twisty section all the way back to the hairpin at turn 11 um that is really really hard and then you've got to go down the back straight which isn't really straight and is also extremely bumpy and undulating and uh, and a real problem you know a, a real problem and there's bumps all around the circuit um the biggest problem is the geology of the place there's i understand there's some kind of a fault sort of under uh, quite a long way underneath the 
the circuit, and it's all I think sort of ch- sort of chalk, if you like, and so the, the 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 ground keeps subsiding a little bit, and that and that's causing the earth to move and causing the, all of these bumps on the track. They tried to straighten it out by scraping off the top of the bumps a couple of years ago. That was of limited success. I've got no idea if they've resurfaced it, but really it just needs to be completely resurfaced. It's uh, almost like a trampoline in some places, especially after heavy rain. So it's interesting to see what the track might throw up this weekend. I was there the last race, uh, the last time we went there in 2019, uh, where Mark Marquez, who's won, I think, six races at the track now. I mean, his form of dominance is is Saxon Ring-esque in Texas. Uh, Of course, he had a a technical problem, which at the time we didn't know about. We saw him crash. We assumed it was just uh, an example of Marquez pushing too hard, too fast. Uh, he went down and allowed Alex Rins and Valentino Rossi to, to fight for victory. Um, you know, it was, I actually had to grab a couple of quotes from Mark after that race. And I remember going into the, the small kind of sheds they use in the paddock as, as like a base. And uh, the frustration was uh, etched all over his face. I mean, he was seething. Uh, you know, it was the end of his record. And I think it was it was discernible that day. I'm not too sure on the TV broadcast, but around the track there was a, a general kind of cheer. There was a moment of of you know celebration that Marquez had crashed out of the Grand Prix, and you know we, it was kind of in that strange phase which you could say still exists, where there are a lot of partisan Valentino Rossi fans and a lot of apathy towards Marquez. Still, um, personally, I don't understand it, but I think it might have had more to do with the fact that the Americans might have been tired of seeing him win there. Um, Alex, you know, Alex Rins went on to win the GP and he's actually a little little piece of trivia. He's the only rider to have won in every class, uh, 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 you know, Cotter. He's done it in Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. Uh, he's not looking like he's going to, you know, double up uh, in Austin this time, Dave. But uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the form book going to Texas. Uh, you know, it's hard also not to look at the championship. There's only 100 points left to win this season. Uh, and it's looking pretty good for Fabio Quattararo. But do we think the Yamahas can actually get a result or even the Ducatis? The Ducatis never won in Texas. Well, well, nobody's won in Texas. I mean, that that was the point. Uh, uh, yeah, no one, basically nobody except, or since Mark Marquez joined the class uh, in 2013, uh, nobody had won in the United States except for Mark Marquez until, uh, yeah, until he had his problem with the engine brake and, and crashed out of the lead, a big, comfortable lead. Uh, in 2019 so um yeah i mean you can't what you have to do to sort of figure out what kind of a track it is you you have to sort of take away mark marquez stop looking at who's won and look at the rest of it Uh, the the suzuki's and the yamahas have actually done quite well at the track they've they've been on the podium quite a lot uh the ducati last year or last year sorry 2019 um Looked pretty decent with Jack Miller on it. Obviously, Jack Miller getting uh, uh, getting a podium uh, in 2019. Uh, and I think the way that the Ducati has changed um, is going to be good for uh, it's going to be good for the for the Ducati. It's going to be good for uh, for, for Jack Miller. It's going to be good for um, Pekka Benyaya. The biggest biggest challenge I think is going to be just the bumpiness of the track and the track and, and the bike which manages best over the bumps is going to handle it uh, best. I know that the the there was a period where the Yamahas really struggled with the bumps. Um, they seem to have sort of sorted that out a little bit as well. So um, that's going to be key. But I also think we're now in the stage of of the season where the championship is a separate fight because it's now clearly between two riders. 
Fabio Quartararo just has to defend, um, which means he enters a race with a slightly different uh, attitude. The only ray, the only other rider he cares about is Pekka Banyai, and Pekka Banyai has to win everything. He has to, you know, win as much as he can. So, um, yeah, that that to me is the most in, interesting battle. But I think that's going to be a separate battle. I think the battle for the victory might be someone else. Dave, just before we get onto the championship, um, two things. Mark Marcus's dominance in Austin is that purely down to the counterclockwise direction, or is that just putting being too simple about it? And also, you stated quite vocally on Twitter you didn't believe Mark was going to win this weekend. So, what are your what's your justification for that? Um, I mean, if, why is he good at it? Because it's the, the the track needs a few of the things which the Honda is good at, and which especially Mark Marquez is good at, which is uh, you know braking hard. You can slide the bike to turn it more quickly. Uh, it, it it is quite agile if it's a bit uh, it's just not very stable and so you know, that helps mark i think because it's the most physically demanding track i mean you know marco said that he was going to he, he found mizano really quite difficult because mizano is also a track which is quite physically demanding but what we've got here is um, a lot of bumps um uh, a, a lot of uh, and again, that first section where you're just, you know, chucking the bike from right, from right to left. I think that's going to be really, really hard on Marquez. And it's a long, long race. Um, so I, I think that is going to be a real challenge for him. I don't think, uh, I don't think he is going to win here precisely because of that. I mean, before the injury, no problem. But with this injury, I don't think he can do it. Um, the case of Valentino Rossi, David, I mean, you know, we said Alex Rins won the last Grand Prix here. It was narrowly from Valentino, which I think might have been the last time he was really in the running for a Grand Prix win. Um, you know, I'm not sure if there was many other occasions in 2019 in particular where he was that close. I think he garnered something like three or four podiums that season. I'll have to check the stats. But, uh, you know, Rossi hasn't looked anywhere near, let's let's be honest, the top five finish so far this season. Uh, would Will he be relieved to be going to, to Cotter? Or is he, you know, that kind of Michelin rear tyre issue still going to throw in one, especially, you know, when we go through some of the more technical sections of the racetrack? Yeah, I don't think... Um, I don't think he is going to do you know, particularly well at, at Cota. I don't think it's a track which uh, sort of particularly suits him. I mean, he might, uh, if it rains, it might help him. Um, but I don't think he's, it seems like he just hasn't figured out, you know, the bike and the tyre and all the rest of it. It, it, it feels like they, um, he's still struggling to sort of get his head around that. And um, it doesn't really matter what track you go to. Uh, he hasn't been hasn't really been able to be competitive. I mean, you know, we, we occasionally you'll see him in the top ten, and we're talking about him, you know, that as being competitive, which I think is, um, you know, not not at all what we mean when we talk about things being competitive. If we um, look at the championship situations for a moment, Fabio Quartararo, there's only a hundred points left, as we mentioned this season. Fabio Quartararo is leading Peko Bagnaia by forty eight. Uh, in Moto2, we've got Remy Gardner with the, the smallest uh, lead of, this, of the classes with 34 over Raul Fernandez. And in Moto3, Pedro Acosta's got 42 just ahead of Sergio Garcia. Is there any kind of series in particular, Dave, where we think, you know, this is cut and dried, over and done? Um, you know, it's, it's not looking particularly hopeful for anybody else in pursuit. Uh, I think the most... Um I think the championship which is closest to being wrapped up is MotoGP. I think um, 
Quartararo's job is easiest. Um, you know, Pe- Pekka Benyai has been really good, and uh, you know, you, you've got you'd have to bet on him winning another couple of races, particularly when we go back to Misano. Um, but Fabio is just Fabio can do enough to keep the gap big enough to be able to uh, wrap the championship up. Uh, I think it's getting quite interesting in Moto Two. I think you know. I also wonder what the what it's going to be like for Ralph Fernandez at at Cota again because it's such a physically demanding track and it's so bumpy. And although he's had you know his his uh, his hand has had another couple of weeks to recover, it's still going to be quite painful. I think, uh, and that's going to be difficult. Um, um you know, Moto Three. Uh, it's. I think that's the most wide open because anything can happen. Um, it really depends on who can get away uh, from it. I, I, I'm really, I'm quite looking forward to see what Romano Fanati can do at, uh, at Cota because uh, I would not be surprised if he ran away again. It's the sort of track where you can run away if you can just get that little bit of a gap to the people behind you, so especially through that, you know, that section between two and two and eleven. All those, those, um, I don't know. We need a, we need a, a good name for that uh, for that section because it's such a key name. It's such a key part. Of the, of the circuit um, but if you can just like inch a little bit of a gap there that's enough for you to to break the slipstream and keeping the slipstream down the back straight is really really difficult because of the bumps so yeah I think it's going to be uh, I, I think the Moto3 could be quite interesting and then the potential for everyone in the Moto3 championship to lose points I think is going to be key you know Pedro Acosta seems to be uh, a little bit more, uh, he seems to be feeling the pressure a little bit, which is not surprising. He's, what is he, 17 and a rookie. Uh, so it, it's not really a surprise that he'd, um, that he'd be feeling the pressure. But you sort of like feel that he's, he's yeah, missing a little bit. The question is whether Sergio Garcia can, uh, or, or Dennis Foggia can, can capitalise on that. Yeah, this weekend would be a good gauge of, uh, you know, Acosta's acclimatization more to Grand Prix. It's his first time at Cotter. So let's see what kind of speed he can make straight away on the KTM. Uh, KTMs, of course, have won four Grand Prix um, at the racetrack. Aaron Connett was the last to do so. And it's interesting that you mentioned Fanati because he's obviously won twice, um, you know, at Cotter. And if it does rain, then, you know, your money's going to be on, uh, you know, a rider of his ilk. Uh, but I think, you know, coming back to the MotoGP class, I really want to see what the Ducatis can do, especially with the, the previous form of riders like Pekka Banyai's won in Moto2, Jack Miller's even won in Moto3, uh, you know, Jorge Martin as well, a winner in Moto3. So there are riders there that kind of have that racecraft knowledge or experience or whatever of taking a checkered flag. So throw them on the bike that seems to be if you like the kind of standout motorcycle even though quick plug time i did like your column in the new uh, on track off road dave about the yamaha and the m1 not being just a quadraro bike um if anyone wants to go and read that excellent piece of writing then it's on on track off road.com uh that's the magazine just came out uh, this week on wednesday but uh yeah the jacassi i think there's going to be a lot of question marks about what these riders can do and bagnaya i guess he has to have the attitude where he's just going to go flat out nothing really to lose i mean he i wonder at what point does he start to think second in the championship is a good mark of progress i'm not going to do anything stupid to jeopardize that i yeah yeah i i don't think 
as long as the uh, as long as he can still see that the championship is there, he's still going for that. Um, so unless he loses, you know, like 10, 15 points to Quartararo this race, um, I don't think he's going to be thinking about second in the championship. Right now, all he's thinking about is trying to win it uh, because it is still possible to win and he has to do everything to win. So yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it is more um, yeah more of a case of just you know throwing everything at it, and then we'll see where we end up sort of on on Sunday night, and then after Sunday we can uh, reapply uh, reappraise the plans, see where you are, and uh, and try for try for something else. But you know, right now it really looks like you know Quattararo was in the driving seat, and Banyaya's job is to try is to try and unseat him from the uh, from the driving seat. Um, I think Ray, because it looks like the weather is really going to be interesting because it looks like we're going to have absolutely torrential rain Friday and Saturday. Uh, and I remember, because I was there as well in 2019, I thought I'd go out for a quick walk um, while uh, we were, because they, they stopped, I think, FP3, the morning session. So I went out for a quick walk to have a look at the track to see what it was like and then got caught in the rain coming back and got absolutely drenched. Um, but it was... The weather was, uh, or you know, there's a lot of standing water there. That's going to cut into practice time. It's also going to make it much more difficult to set, you know, set a bike up. And if it's then either dry or, uh, you know, half wet, half dry, a bit of a mixed conditions on uh, on Sunday, then I, I think that is really going to worry Fabio Quartararo because the Yamaha is still not good. It's the one set of conditions in which, the, in which you know, the, the bike is not good and in which he has really, really struggled this year. So I think that's going to be his biggest concern going into this uh, championship. And then, you know, Pekka Banyaya, if he's good in the wet, I think he was pretty reasonable in Le Mans earlier this year. I think it, then it really gets interesting. Then he has a, a chance to really grab a whole bunch of points back and the championship is wide open again. Yeah, he was very fast in Austria as well. It seems the case where, you know, Quattararo, maybe one of his biggest obstacles could be the weather. Uh, I mean, I've just come back from the motocross of nations in Italy where we had 26, 27 degree temperatures, bright sunshine on Saturday, and then it lashed down and uh, created a real muddering event on the Sunday. And as we get kind of into autumn in Europe, and you know, we still have to go to Portimao, we still have to go to Valencia, you know, we still have to go back to Misano, which of course can be very erratic right there on the Adriatic coast. Then, you know, the rain could be something that, you know, really throws Quattararo's prep into a bit of a spin. I mean, it's just a long shot, but you think it's his rivals just have that to cling to. Just before, uh, Dave, don't go wandering off like you did in FP3, Cotta. Uh, uh, we're just going to have a quick break and then we're going to come back with a few predictions and also a couple of other talking points on this rapid show previewing uh, the Circuit of the Americas and the Red Bull Grand Prix of the United States. The Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 is the newest addition to the popular Diablo Rosso family, and is specifically designed for sport bike, hyper-naked, and crossover motorcycles. Giving riders a superior level of grip, the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 gives precise feedback and control in both wet and dry conditions, raising the benchmark for high-performance sport tires on the road. Available in a wide range of sizes, the Pirelli Diablo Rosso 4 is the culmination of nearly 20 years of testing and R&D in the factory, on the roads, and on the track with World Superbike. Visit your local dealer or online retailer and pick up a set today. 
Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. We were going to talk about the Grand Prix United States, but as seeing that as there isn't one, we're going to talk about the Grand Prix of the Americas instead. Uh, Dave, we, we've had you know talk about close racing or close championship pitches or, or not necessarily, but let's um, you know cast a few opinions over some of the sad news we saw recently, of course, in World Superbike, where we had Dean Bertabignales, um, age fifteen, in the Super Sport three hundred category. Uh, tragically being the, the third fatality we've had this year in motorcycle racing at international level. Uh, I, I really don't know where to start, but, you know, it does seem there's more urgency now for the FIM, for Dorna, for people who are in power or responsible for setting regulations or even promoting these racing championships to impose some sort of, even if it's a political gesture, some sort of measure to ensure that this thing or these tragedies or these accidents don't happen again. Yeah, but the trouble is you can't ensure that they're not going to happen again um, because it's a part of racing. The one part of racing which we cannot uh, protect against, which we can't stop, the one danger which we can't remove is one rider falling on track and another rider riding into them. The only way to remove that is to change the format into a time trial, and I don't think motorcycle racing would be the same if it was just a time trial. I mean, I... That's the way that the, the Isle of Man has always worked, but you know that that's completely different. Uh, that's a completely different uh, discipline, a completely different sport, completely different event. Uh, and I don't think a world championship would work that way. And certainly, uh, hanging around for uh, twenty four riders to all put in their sort of their their separate runs would be um, would be much more difficult. Um, and so you can't eliminate it. What you have to do is try and reduce the risks of it. And that's really, really difficult. We've, there's a few things. Firstly, we've got the close racing. The close racing is one of the things which really attracts people to the sport because it is, it's extremely exciting to watch. Uh, but it's extremely exciting to watch until someone falls off and then you realize just how much risk they're running. Um, there's been a but lot we, of... But we, Dave, we can't ask promoters to change the technical regulations to eradicate that can we i mean you're asking them to make a product seemingly worse or not as attractive uh, yeah i mean uh, the, but you have to find the balance i mean you certainly there's been a lot of the motor three because we've talked about this in in motor three as well uh if you go back to the, like, like races at qatar where you've just got a whole bunch of riders all bunched up together and pulling the most insane maneuvers to try and get out of the slipstream to uh, try to make a pass. Um, but they are able to do that because th th there's no penalty for making a mistake on a Moto3 bike or th the penalty is not as great as, as uh, uh, on a Moto3 bike. Uh, as long as someone at the front is, is sort of, or as long as there is a battle between the leaders, everyone else can keep up. Uh, because they can just use the slipstream, which is what we've seen in earlier races. And what we've seen in the past, what, three, two, three races is uh, Fanati getting away or there being a clear leader um, uh, and that leading group making a break, making the difference and stretching the field out. And all of a sudden, uh, the racing is a lot less close and a lot less uh, uh, and a lot safer because you know there's more, there's not such a large group riding together. So I think that is... Um, something that they can do. The, the racing will still be exciting. It just won't be insane. Um, yeah, I think, so you know, I mean, Mugello Turn 1 for me is one of the scariest sites in Grand Prix, especially in Moto3. Uh, you know, and it, I, I think to a degree, 
now with a little bit of hindsight of course fresh hindsight you know grand prix and you know the sep and red bull rookies they've been living on borrowed time anyway because the the racing has been that close it's been it's amazing there hasn't been more uh serious accidents uh, within the pack of course but you know i mean i think there's still an argument to be made for age limits i don't think you know a 15 year old should be in grand prix racing on that kind of uh pressure bubble and on that kind of machinery you know having seen firsthand my eldest turns 15 next week the transition from a 13 year old to a 15 year old there's there's quite a big change there of course we're we're far too old to remember it dave but you know seeing firsthand the physical and the mental i remember it (laughs) vividly which is um i mean you know i only managed to stop being 15 about three months ago so uh it's uh, (laughs) It's it's quite remarkable. I know I know what it's mean. I mean, you are completely insane at that age. I mean, I was completely insane up until I was about thirty. You know, in my early thirties, I was I was a complete idiot, um, which is how I ended up here. Uh, but yeah, it, it's like you say, it, the, the change is huge, and it is. It's a very very. It, it's uh, the question I have is all right. So we take fifteen year olds off of these bikes, where do young people learn to race a motorcycle? I mean, you know, what do you put in its place? Uh school. <laughs> yeah, I do think you know, why why does uh, a twelve or thirteen year old need to be racing, you know, a hundred and sixty kilometer an hour motorcycles on a on a huge track, uh, you know, on a professional circuit? Well, uh, well but explain about uh, how do they do it in motocross because i know there are um uh, they've got sort of the, you know, the small wheel and the big wheel classes and then you go up through there but they're on sort of big tracks and those big tracks can hurt you quite badly obviously i mean how do they is there any lessons for road racing from motocross the, the thing with motocross is a very staggered um it's a very staggered path of progression like you say you go from small wheel to big wheel various sizes of machinery i mean i think in road racing you have mini moto pocket bikes and then you're straight onto one two fives and 250 four strokes which are you know the equivalent of moto three red bull rookies cev machines um in motocross i think that the progression is a little bit more gradual uh, the same for the tracks i mean the fim junior world championship the track spec is not the same as a Grand Prix. I don't think the, the jumps are as big. Uh, of course, they're, they're graded to the same kind of high level, but they're not quite as demanding or as as, as huge as they were. Like last weekend um, in the Motocross of the Nation, they launched the European uh, Junior Electric Motocross Championship, which is basically 50 uh, Gas Gas Husqvarna and uh, KTM machinery. And you had these six to eight-year-olds buzzing around a section of uh, the professional track that the guys were using so they were you know obviously not cresting the jumps uh they were just kind of rolling over them but it was an experience more for the kids than anything else but i think when you cross compare the 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 categories it's more just the the rate of progression it's slower in motocross it's a slower speed um it's a slower level uh the tracks are a little bit more adaptable whereas you know you go from seemingly go-kart circuits on mini bikes to large bikes that adults would race i think that maybe that is the problem i know dawner and the fim have this um mini gp championship uh, they have this road to you know motor gp concept but i don't think you should be getting into a grand prix environment with let's say established professionals like romano fernati and moto 3 when you're 15 years old um, you know, you have exceptions like Jorge Lorenzo, most famously. Pedro Acosta maybe is the freak. Maybe he's breaking the mold with a maturity that's beyond other kids. 
But uh, you know, I, I mean, if you had an age limit of seventeen, your your question about where would these guys go is very valid. But, you know, maybe there needs to be some sort of filter at European level. You shouldn't be in the World Championship that young. That's 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 what I feel. I don't think you have the uh, the maturity to deal with it. Uh, uh, yesterday, I was on the, the Dutch Eurosport podcast, which I do with Peter Bomb and Frank Wing. Uh, and uh, Peter made a really, really good uh, point. He said, uh, Assen's got this... You know, it's got the, what they call the junior track, which is a glorified qu- a casting track, really. Uh, and he said, you know, that's what the kids should be racing on. But it does seem to me um, that what we need is really is something sort of halfway between a karting track and a full-size Grand Prix track. And that's th- th- that's what's missing. Um, but the trouble is the parallels with motocross are interesting because it's relatively easy to create a motocross track. Um, you can move earth around to make it and you can do it, you know, with a, with one of these great big shovels or JCBs in, uh, in, in a couple of days, if you like, whereas actually laying a, an asphalt track is, uh, much more time consuming and much more complicated. Um, so yeah, I I think I, you sort of think that if there was some kind of an intermediate track where young younger kids could ride on, uh, then that would definitely help. Obviously, having forty two riders in in the class is insanity. Uh, there's no need to have that many bikes on the uh, on the grid, and having some kind of split. Uh, a, a bit like they do in Supercross, where you've got your your, your heats and your last chances. That uh, that might that might be better, and it also might teach riders a little bit more racecraft as well. Um, and again, the fact that these bikes are so easy to ride, or they they don't punish mistakes, and that means that you're always going to get a group together. Whereas on the old one two five two strokes, if you dropped out the power band, that was it. You know that was two seconds um, because you, it would take you that long to get the bike back into the power band and then make and, and regain the speed again. But these have got just got too much, um, uh, too broad of a, uh, of a torque peak to be able to just roll through. If you get sort of run a little bit wide and you have to back off, you just open the throttle again and you're back again. Whereas if you did that on a, uh, uh, on a one, two, five, you'd back off and you'd be out of the power band and you'd have to change back and you would lose, you know, so much ground in that with that one mistake that it taught you to be very, very imprecise. And I think that is, uh, th- that's a huge contributory factor to, 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 to this as well. So there needs to, uh, like I said, I don't think there's an easy answer. I think there needs to be lots and lots and lots of things that we could look at to try and make it, um, uh, you know, to, to try and improve it and try and make it better. Well, you'd like to think there are considerably smarter people than us looking for solutions, Dave. Uh, you know, the, the, the yeah, I hope, well, certainly, certainly better paid, let's put it that way. So um, it would be interesting to see, you know, what kind of, like I say, whether it's just a political gesture and there is some sort of change to the regulations or somebody actually takes a, you know, a deep dive into it and says, we believe this is the way perhaps to increase safety, even though, of course, freak accidents and incidents are never going to be eradicated from what is a perilous motorsport. Um, I have to apologize for my audio because I'm now sitting in the midst of a, a torrential rain shower. So if you can hear that in the background, then that's the reason why. And a, a further example of how, you know, these things can swap around, um, of course, in Europe, because I think if this kind of rainfall uh, fell in Valencia or, or Misano, then um, it could be uh, Fabio's worst nightmare. But um, let's just let's round things off, Dave, with a few predictions for, for Cotta. Uh, who are you liking? You said you didn't think Marquez would win. So um, who would your five euro note be on for Sunday? 
uh, well, with the proviso that this is if it's dry, because if it rains, then all bets are off. Um, uh, I think if it's dry, I, I, I have a sneaking feeling that Alex Rince might just sort of pull off the double. I think he might just do it because he's been so flaky this year um, that it's exactly the sort of thing that he would do. It would either be up or down. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he could win. I think Pekka Banyaya has a real, real shot of uh, at the very least a podium. I think the Ducati is going to go well uh, uh, around there. Um and it's going to suit a lot. It's going to suit a lot of bikes. It, it really is going to suit a, a lot of bikes. I think we, it could be an interesting, I don't think we, you, we're going to see, you know, the kind of dual. I don't think it's going to be more like Misano than Aragon, if you like, in that, uh, the, the field will get a little bit spread out and then it'll come back together again. Cause it's also a, a very demanding track on, on, uh, on tires as well, uh, as well. That I think is also why it's going to favor the Suzuki a little bit. So if I had to pick a winner, um, I'm going to go for Alex Rins just for uh, just for sort of novelty value, um, uh, and I think I think there's going to be three. Um, uh, I think it's going to be extremely likely likely that we'll see three different brands on the podium. I'm not going to say Rins. I don't think he's had the front end feeling all season to be able to be competitive enough for victory. But you know, if I said a Ducati next year that would like cover the grid quite comprehensively but I think one of the red bikes or well one of the Desmos Adichis is going to be victorious on Sunday in fact uh, you know I, I kind of seem like his number one fan at the moment but I will say Jack Miller again um, I think I've tipped him for like three Grand Prix now the last four but uh, you know I think his previous record at Cotter coupled with the fact that Ducati seems to be a little bit more friendly a little bit more effective for him this season I think he'll be he'll be the man ahead come Sunday but um, but Dave, will we checking in? You know, with Neil, of course, for the Paddock Pass podcast note show on Friday, um, available to sort of our Patreon subscribers, where we'll be, you know, listening to the debriefs, what the riders have to say, how they're coping with the climate over in Texas, and then uh, feeding it straight back to some listeners. So don't forget to, you know, join us there. Um, check us out on the different tiers, the different levels of access, uh, and of course, feel free to send us some comments and predictions of your own or some opinions, even through Twitter, uh, Paddock Pass Pod we're easy to find and um yeah i hope you enjoyed this last episode of the show and we'll be back next week of course to talk everything post racing to see how accurate we were dave you got any more comments before we sign off uh no i think it's going to be uh i think it's going to be a really interesting race um i think it's going to be very difficult and i'm really interested to see what happens with uh, with the weather i think it, it, when it comes down to it the weather is going to be the the absolute key to um especially the motor gp class i think that's going to be be decisive thanks for listening we'll be online again on friday this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Welcome to this week's Paddock Pass podcast. We are dressed, empowered, and flying with fly racing. I'm going to start again because that was rubbish. <laughs>